for a child, time equals love, quality time. Individual time with each child, also very important. I did a lot of group things. We had four kids, so there was a grouping often. But to identify each child and what they want to do, once every two to three weeks, a couple of hours with each child, mom doing it and dad doing it, is a gold mine. Dr. David Clark joins us today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. You know, parenting is one of the most rewarding tasks I think a man or woman can uh, do in this life. It's so rewarding, but it is exhausting and taxing as well. It's kind of like the best of the worst. And Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. But that doesn't mean there isn't going to be any resistance to that or difficulty or struggle. Mm -hmm. Uh, There isn't a magic formula for the perfect child. I don't think there's a perfect child. In fact, God, in my heart, says, you're all teenagers to me, and uh, (laughs) because we're all sinners saved by grace. And today, we're going to talk about how to overcome those roadblocks that we as parents offer often hit as we're raising our children. And who better to talk about that than Dr. David Clark? He has over 30 years of experience counseling families through every kind of issue you can imagine. Yeah, he is a a psychologist, an author, a speaker, and uh, Dr. Clark's recent book is Parenting is Hard and Then You Die. (laughs) (laughs) That's encouragement. The subtitle is A Fun But Honest Look at Raising Kids of All Ages Right. David, welcome back. Well, good to be here. All right, so right off the bat, you ask if children are gifts from God in your book or instruments of slow torture. So which is it? (laughs) It is both. It's both, I know. You said in your opening, it's wonderful. We find our four kids just endlessly interesting and fascinating. So the the gender breakdown of your four kids, what is it? We have Emily, Leanne, and Nancy, three girls right in a row, and then there was a pause, and we weren't sure we were going to have a fourth, and then we did. God (laughs) took a hand, and then so William Clark came along. You also relate, and of course, people, if you don't know Dr. David Clark, um, there is a lot of humor in what he writes, and I think you use that as a tool to make sure you can hit tough topics in a way that people can digest it. Is that fair? Right. You just can't say it. It's too serious and too threatening, so humor goes a long way. So take that as we continue to talk about it, because right off the bat, you relate to parenting as a, a major war, a battle. What exactly is the war and what are you getting at? Well, there's three wars. You're in a war with your own kids. They're wonderful. They're precious gifts from God. The Bible's clear on that. However, they're fiendishly inventive. They have the old nature and they want their way. And along the way, they're going to break your heart. You have to embrace that truth. Every now and then you have a sweetheart of a kid who's pretty easy to raise. It's like a white rhino. Very rare. And if you have (laughs) one like that, you ain't going to have two. So you're fighting your kids. You're also fighting your spouse. Sandy and I had we come to find out after our first child two totally different parenting styles based on our personalities, based on how we were raised. Oh, my goodness. So that we had a struggle to figure out because you need to be a team. And we disagreed on most things and we had to figure it out. And then, of course, you're in a war with culture, which means Satan. Well, that's so true. And we're going to oh. unpack all of that. But how can parents make a difference when we have so many forces, like you've described, kind of aiming against us or trying to take us down in our role and responsibility? Well, Proverbs 22, 6 says it best. You quoted that, Jim. We Parents are the final authority. We have the most influence. That's always been the case, and it always will be. All these surveys taken, even among secular people, parents have the most influence. So we can do it with God's help. Yeah. And you and Sandy had uh, a big decision about selling a house, and you parlayed that into a parenting approach. How did you do that, and what oh, does it mean? Don't ever sell a home. Die in the home you're in. <laughs> I am telling you. 
you. And this new home we have, I'm, I'm going to be carried out. I'm not selling. <laughs> All the different pieces, fixing it up and, and dealing with the realtor. The bank was the worst. So we figured out we couldn't do it alone. Even Sandy and I working together, we had to have a support team. We, we had a wonderful realtor, Liz, wonderful person. She really helped us. And we had friends, Bob and Pam Johns, our best friends. They were on the team. They were talking. So they, they'd, Bob has sold, uh, bought and sold several homes, so he knew the process. He's an old banker. Not old, but he used to bank. And so we had my parents who would listen to us crab and whine. And so it was a team. Same thing's true of parenting. You can't do it alone. You've got to have a team. What does that team look like? Well... It is God, first of all. Again, just like marriage, you can't do parenting alone without him. He's got the power. Who can raise a child? Who can have the patience, the self-control, the, the endurance, the wisdom, the guidance to raise a child on their own? Can't do it. So you stay close to God. Of course, you're going to be very connected to your spouse. You're going to be a team. Church, I think, is vitally important. I know focus is in full support of the local church. You need to be in church and not just attending, but involved. Children's ministry, if you've got kids, a solid youth program for youth. Got to have it. We, looking back, we wouldn't have made it without that. Huh. Plus, you've got friends, and you've got the Word of God. You've got worship. The kids are involved in that. And other adults that can really come alongside. I say coaches. We had some wonderful coaches. This is uh, could be just persons or other couples that you're very close to that support you in your parenting. We were saved by godly people like that. The Johns were some of them that, that really came alongside of us. And when you're in the middle of it, you can't see what to do until you read Dr. Clark's wonderful book. And even if you do, talking to a friend who knows your kids, well, have you tried this? I hadn't thought of that. Gosh. And, and you start doing that and it works. You know, in the book, you mentioned how critically important it is to keep your marriage first in the parenting effort. Hmm. And we can all understand that. We could say, oh yeah, we all agree. And then to actually do it is really tough because the yeah. kids can disrupt your your marital bond. I mean, they work you, they pitch you against each other. Yep. So how do we make it practically correct that we can keep our marriage first? How do we do it? You you have a series of conversations where you make it clear. The Bible's clear on this. Genesis 2.24, the one flesh relationship, Ephesians 5.25, our marriage is number one. No matter what the situation, traditional family, blended family, our marriage is top of the food chain. I told my kids growing up, we love you dearly. I love your mother more. How can you love mom more? I do. Check the Bible. I would read the verses. Ah, they didn't care. Because you're leaving at some point. Exactly. And she ain't. She's staying here, <laughs> God willing. <laughs> That's critically important. Because even, even good kids, they want their way. Culture's tugging on them. They want to do this and that. And they know exactly what each of you are like. And if there's any room between you, they're going to exploit it. Oh, yeah. They're good at that. They it's are amazing. Masters. You offer three questions that we should ask our spouse uh, to gauge our priorities. What are those? First one is, look, and this is, this is being very honest, honey, what is above you on my priority list? And you need from to- From her or his perspective. Yeah, from her perspective. What is more important than you? Now, if I was asking the blonde that, and it's still this is my big bugaboo is work. I'm a workaholic. Hello, my name is Dave, and I'm a workaholic. I am. And so that would be what she would answer often when I asked her that. Oh, So the second question is, okay, what, what can I do to fix that, to make you more important than that priority? And either the woman or the, or the man, they'll have ideas. Well, try this, try that stuff they've been dying to tell you, or they've been telling you, and you've been ignoring them. And then the final thing is, look, ongoing here, let's continue to, I, I give you permission to call me out anytime you see the priority slipping you call me out on it, and I will fix it. Huh. Describe that um, for us, because sometimes the mission of parenting is so critically important, and we want our kids to follow the Lord. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, that we can forego making our marriage the most important. And it seems reasonable, logical, yeah. correct. I mean, yeah. but how do we regain our equilibrium to say, wait a minute, this isn't quite the way we should be doing this? Well, one parent will usually figure it out first, and then oh, we're a little off balance here. Because parenting demands so much time and attention and effort and prayer and, and all the things involved in it. So you can easily focus on your kids too much. When a child, the real problem is, and we had this with one of our kids, really had a problem in middle school. When there's real acting out and there's a real issue, then it's, it's almost like the marriage gets suspended and all, you know, everything goes to that child. Now, that's a mistake because you're losing your effectiveness. You've got to continue to keep the marriage strong. Yeah, but if you're for the couple taking that inventory, maybe tonight after hearing this, they're mm-hmm. sitting together going through that list. What what does it look like when it's out of kilter? Help the couple that's maybe blinded, and they don't even see that they're kid centric as opposed to marriage centric. You, you've lost your coupleness, you've lost your romance and your passion. You don't go out on dates, or if you do, you're dumb enough to take one of your kids. What is the matter with you? It's or like to, the Waltons. Stop. Yeah. They're always around. <laughs> No, you go out and you don't lose your romance and you, you're not going out two, I say minimum two weekends a year. You need to get away from your kids. If you've got grandparents, grandparents are for dumping the kids on. They'll love them. They'll spoil them and you need to use them. But what if they give them too much sugar? Well, who cares? They'll survive. (laughs) That's what grandparents are for. I have never said no to my three grandkids and I never will. Five people just turned the radio yeah. off. They probably the did. Tough. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that the uh, the calendar can be a real good representation of maybe a marriage that's out of whack because we've got soccer and we've got these lessons and we've got that and this and that. And I may be guilty of not scheduling the time with my spouse. Right. Each week, you need to have time apart from the kids connecting and talking. And most parents aren't doing that. And they think, well, you know what? We have to get through the parenting thing. And then once they're okay, we can get to back to our marriage. Yeah. No, there won't be a marriage to go back to. The emptiness. I'm seeing a high divorce rate in my practice and other councils across the country at the emptiness stage. Kids are finally gone. It's just you and I. We got nothing. Yeah. A while back, I think it was Wall Street Journal said that's the number one category of divorce. The graying of divorce, they call it, is yep. the empty, early empty nesters. Oh, yeah. It's happening. Yeah. So you work on the marriage now. David, in your book, I want to you know have you fess up here because it said you said you cheated in your high school literature class. Now, first of all, you shouldn't cheat, David. <laughs> is that like a sin? Does that invalidate yeah. oh, the man. book we published? Yeah. Then secondly, you know, how does that relate to prioritizing your marriage? I can't believe you connected these two. Well, you have to read these horrible books: Lorna Dune, Wuthering Heights. Wuthering is right. I was withering reading that book. Just awful stuff. Jane Eyre. You could torture people and they reveal their secrets being forced to read those books. So I went to Cliff Notes. Oh, Cliff Notes, the little, the yellow Cliff Notes where they give you the outline. Yeah. So was, that was your cheating. Oh, it okay, was. Okay, that's not too bad. And I confess that we're, God's okay with that. We've moved on. Cliff Notes are okay. <laughs> but then apply it to marriage. Well, I've got Cliff Notes for marriage. And, I, and even though it's a parenting book, there's a section on marriage and keeping it strong. And so I've got just a few little Cliff Notes there that can keep a marriage strong and make sure they can stay on track. Okay. And what do those Cliff Notes say for you? I mean, when you're the practical advice on those Cliff Notes, how can a couple promote emotional intimacy in the midst of all this chaos with the kids? Well, you better have, and the kids are in their room, small kids, get them to bed. Uh, Teens, don't worry, they'll be in their room already because they hate you. This isn't an issue. (laughs) So, well, having a couple talk time, oh, great, I hate you. It's pretty funny, you don't have to say go to your room for your (laughs) teens. You don't! You can't drag them out of the room. (laughs) Anyway, so you create four 30-minute couple talk times each week. Four days, 30 minutes, just Just you and your spouse. Just you and your spouse. Yeah. 
you talk about the kids, you talk about your your life, your coupleness, so your relationship with God. That's how you develop emotional intimacy. And there's deeper conversations. So you're still in love. Now, there's the spiritual area. Uh, that's critically important in those talk times. You pray, you talk spiritually, you share what's going on in your spiritual lives, and you read the Bible together. So you're focused and growing as a couple. Yes. And then the physical area. What is it? You must have sex in order to have kids. But once you have kids, you have no more sex. It's over. We got to stop that. <laughs> Come on. So we. The, it's not just uh, being intimate in the bedroom in the whole enchilada. It's kissing and making out and giving massages. I have to retrain couples in this because they've lost it. We're not going to have any more kids. Well, fine, but you, God still wants you to be involved physically. That's You can't do it with anybody else. And you have to retrain them. I'll say, how, what's your kissing like? Well, here's how we're kissing. Stop that. That's embarrassing. That's not a kiss. <laughs> Shake hands and get it over with. It's about that exciting. Let's have a smacker of a kiss when you leave in the morning, when you get home at night. During the, after a couple talk time, there should be some making out. Come on. If you want to get rid of a teen, if they're haranguing you, if they're causing a problem, you just start making out. <laughs> They'll leave They'll, the room. Yes. They'll leave the country. They, they can't do. take it. They, do. they don't like watching that. Oh, it's, it's horrible. At all. It's so awful. I'm kind of speechless here. David, I want to slip this in because your children are a little older. You're empty nesting now. Yeah. I've got late teens. so um, you I'm know, sorry. The, the, there's kind of, well, there's kind of this idea that once they leave the house and parenting is over, what, Boy, what's the truth? If only. No, we stay in touch with all of our kids. And now they're going through the young adult things. Mm-hmm. The good news is we've been there before. The bad news is they really don't want to hear from us. <laughs> <laughs> but there are times, of course, we're in support. We're still helping them. And now our kids are having kids. And they're having the parenting thing. So a lot of dialogue about that. And we're, and we're enjoying it. And there'll be times when you can kind of, when they will ask for some help, or there'll be some low key. It's always FYI, if you want to do this, Okay. Um, but I'm hoping this parenting book, they'll actually read that because they're having kids of their own. I think it's going to help them because really they turned out beautifully. Well, there's a great example of what a grandparent can do. I mean, get yes. this book for your children. That's a good idea. Let me ask you, David, every child um, has specific needs. I think that's true. We're all unique. Uh, but you boil it down to five needs that every child has. Uh, let's touch those briefly. What are the five? Love. That comes first. Respect. Competence spirituality, and independence. If you can meet those five needs, you're going to turn out a successful, independent, and effective person. Uh, David, in light of those five, how many kids express those needs? And how much of this is, as a parent, I just need to know my kids need these five things? Yeah, no kid's going to ever come up and say, and say it. You're exactly right. They're not even aware of it. As the parent, that's our job. And of course, God makes it clear in the Bible, I think, all these needs in his own way. But yeah, you, you have to just know. They're actually desperate to get all of these needs met, but they don't, little kids especially don't have the wherewithal to really mm. voice that. Teenagers start to get it, but again, uh, it, they're not going to voice it. Yeah. Because I, I got to make my own way and I don't trust you and you're too old. So we, we have to do it ourselves. Uh, David, as a young child, your daughter Emily was attached to, I think it was a pacifier. It was a pacifier. I remember in the book. Uh, tell us about that and why that was so disturbing to you. Oh, my goodness. We made the mistake. <laughs> I think it was a mistake looking back. We gave her the pacifier, you know, to keep her quiet and to soothe her. Well, it worked. But Emily, she's a very feisty girl and still is a feisty adult. She's strong-willed. She would not give up the pacifier. She's three years old. She's a little bit three, and she's not giving it up. She had to have it to sleep at night. I began to hate that pacifier. It was a bane of my existence because when she went to sleep with it, she would lose it during the night. 
and then wake up screaming, ah, my passy, my passy. And she, she was smart enough to know it was a certain passy she had to have. Oh, really? Any other pacifier. No, no. She knew it. The curve of it in my mouth. <laughs> that's not, find another and she'd one. go and spit it out. I would search for 20 minutes. Where is the pacifier? One night, after a 20-minute search, it had fallen down her nightshirt and was against her navel. Oh! <laughs> so the day came when saying I said, okay, enough of the pacifier. I took it out. Now, we didn't have Emily watch. It would have traumatized her, but it was a moment of victory for us. I had Sandy by me. I took a hammer, and I shattered the pacifier. Free at last! I think I yelled something like that. Some of the neighbors, what's the matter with that guy? I said, I'm a psychologist. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. And then that night, she didn't have the passy. Oh, a couple nights of screaming, she got over it. But the point is, she depended on that, but it, it had to be taken away from her. There, there was that limit we had to put on her. Otherwise, she'd be still have it today at 33. Mm. I mean, come on. Right. You have to make a move. Yeah, and you're putting that under the category of loving your child. But uh, from the child's perspective, what does love look like mm. at different stages? Let's talk about the early years, those 8 to 10, 12-year-old years, and then the teen years. Time is so important for a child. Even a young child, it, it love is measured in time. The time you spend with them doing what they want to do. I'll bring up the Barbie thing, even though it's traumatizing to me. <laughs> My three little girls wanted to play Barbies, Emily, Leanne, and Nancy. I held the line on the Barbie thing for years, and then somebody else, I think it was a grandparent, gave them a Barbie, and the gates were opened. <laughs> Let's play Barbies, Daddy. You know what? But that, that was love. That's what they wanted to do. And, and that's what did how that look like? It was so frustrating to you, you know, obviously. You, you walk into the big clubhouse, big place in the back of our home, and there'll be a pile of 45 naked Barbies. <laughs> because they have to be clothed. You spend 20 minutes clothing Barbie. You'd think it'd be a piece of cake because she's anorexically thin. <laughs> it's not true. Barbie's clothes are thinner than Barbie. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding? <laughs> Chugging on a pair of pants and a shirt, and it's all, oh, you look good in that, Barbie. That doesn't meet your complexion. All the Barbies have the same complexion. No, no, I think you're more of a spring. Seriously? I have to change. But all that was about loving them. And the Barbies get together and we decide what to do. Uh, let's go to the beach. Let's do this. We're all talking and connecting. And they love doing it. And this that. is you playing with your three daughters. Oh, and, on the floor. And it's all verbal. Yes. The blonde <laughs> was nowhere in sight. This was her break. <laughs> Great. She might have given them the Barbie. I don't know. So this will be an hour, an hour and a half of just playing and talking. And I can't get Barbie. You can't get Barbie shoes on. I'm just here to tell you. They're incredibly small. And you can only find one shoe. Well, they have to match. Even little girls know that. That's a brown shoe and that's a green shoe, Daddy. I said, who cares? We're not going out. <laughs> no, no, they have to. And so we talk and it was fun. And they felt love because Dad was going to do that. Yeah, chit-chat, chit-chat. But oh. now your son comes along. What did he do with the Barbies? <laughs> Threw them across the room? He would tear their heads off and burn them. <laughs> I know, it's true, isn't <laughs> it? was not going to do that. We didn't even do the G.I. Joe thing. Yeah, go G.I. Joe. It was out there, and we were just, it was all sports with William. Activity. He's loved sports. He's a great golfer, tennis player. We did that for years. Yes. Worked out well because I'm a golfer myself. And you've hit it for those stages. I mean, being engaged, spending time is what you said. And that time then is what they want to do with you, right? Right. That's what you're saying. Don't do yeah. what you want to do. Do what they want yeah. to do. I had a dad in my office a few weeks ago, and he has got a teenage boy. And the teenage boy loves to fish. The dad hates to fish. He's always hated. I said, I don't care what you think or what you feel. You're taking your son fishing. That's his thing. I can't. A couple of years of that, will that kill you? You do what he wants to do. I want I, to play golf. No, your son hates golf. Don't do that. It's yeah. just common sense. You, 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 you sacrifice. Meet your kid where they're, where they're at. Right. Yeah. Whatever they want to do. No, that's really good. You also described that parenting three steps. So describe for us what that is. It all is about relationship. First step of parenting, the parenting one step is we, we're going to build, we're going to meet these five needs in your child's life. 
love, respect, competence, spirituality, and independence. And when you do that, you're going to have a successful child. I'm convinced of it because it worked for our kids and many hundreds of parents I've seen in my practice. The second parenting two-step is when you meet those needs, you're building the relationship. Most important thing, when they hit all along, when they hit teens, that relationship is vitally important to navigate them through all the horrible stuff Satan has for them to sample. And then the final three-step, parent three-step, is when you've done those first two steps, you're effective. You're going to be an effective parent and your efforts are going to pay off and they're going to listen to you when you really need them to listen to you. Well, that's really good. And that's all in the book, which is really helpful. Uh, You also ask or suggest that you ask three questions uh, of yourself, your child and your parenting team when it comes to your relationship with each child. What are those questions? And this is tough. We did this way back in the day because it felt like the right thing to do. You got to get the feedback. Number one, what, you know, how am I doing in this relationship, building the relationship with you? What am I doing right? Yeah. And hopefully that, well, dad, you're doing this, you're doing that. If it's the child or of course the blonde always knew she knows everything. She's with them all day long. (laughs) She's She's way ahead of you. Oh, she totally. So I would ask her, honey, and and I would take her advice every time because she just knows women just know the moms know she might not be able to be the one to do it. I'm the dad, but she can let me know what to do. So what am I doing right? Second, of course, what am I doing wrong? I'm open to feedback. That's a real man or a real mom, real woman who will ask that question. Uh, what am I doing that's hurting our relationship? Children know when they have permission to say, they might yeah. just tell you. Or even close friends. I want to ask Bob Johns. Uh, we would, we used to go to uh, Havana Villa, just this dive that had the, the best Cuban sandwiches in town. And he knew the kids. He'd interact with them. And so he'd give me great advice. Dave, I'm telling you, I would do this, I would do that. He's got a couple of great boys, and I'd give him, I'd give him advice that really helped. And even more helpful, don't do this. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, really, stop doing that, or don't. I tried that, it didn't work. Yeah. And then the third question is, you know, on an ongoing basis, I tell me when you catch me doing something I shouldn't be doing, uh, or it's not helping. T- please tell me because I don't want to make a mistake. Yeah. And I also would put in there when I'm doing something right, you know, let me know. Give me some feedback. That's good. You know, one thing I did, Dave, which was really helpful, is when the boys were bringing their report cards home, I created a little daddy report card for them. I had like seven things oh, to like it. That. Yeah, it was really good. And I just asked them, you know, A to F, have I spent enough time with you in this last semester? Have we laughed enough together? Have I taught you something that you need to know, like changing a tire or something? And then spiritually, have I taught you about God in a way that has drawn you closer to him? Those are kind of the questions I would ask. The lowest grade I ever got was a C, <laughs> which was time together. It Not was a busy, a busy period, but mostly it's B's and A's. But I just thought it opened up the dialogue. That's what you're driving at. It, right. it begins to open up discussion between you and your right. children about how you're doing as yeah. a father or a mother. True. And even to ask the question of a child is an indication, I love you. Yeah. I love you enough. I'm open to whatever you'll tell me. And yeah. kids respond to that. Hey, David, as we close uh, today, and I want to come back next time and keep the dialogue going, we've got more of those five uh, things that children need. We've covered love, one of them, but let's come back next time and cover the other four. But uh, as we close out, speak to that parent who feels overwhelmed. I'm thinking of that mom that is so stressed out, dad is checked out, and she's trying to carry this big load. And that may be exactly where you're at as a listener. What can they do to begin to form that solid relationship with each child individually? What advice you have for them? 
Well, I'd say, first of all, boy, join the club. Sandy and I, at many times during parenting, were overwhelmed. We're not getting this done. It doesn't look good. And you, you worry so much because how they turn out means everything to you. Yeah. So you embrace that. But at the same time, you make it a matter of prayer. And I think having a plan, I've got a plan in the book. It works. you got to follow a clear plan. All the principles are biblical and you will carry the day. There's times when you don't think you will, but you will carry the day. They will turn out okay. Aren't those good words from Dr. David Clark on today's Focus on the Family? I trust he's encouraged you in your role as a mom or a dad. You will make it through. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. I'm sure that Dr. David Clark's ideas and strategies sound appealing to any parent. But are you willing to put yourself out there and ask the right questions of your children so that they can speak into your life and let you know how you're doing? Why not give it a try and see what feedback you get? Dr. Clark is saying that if we can get those five core needs met, we'll have successful kids, we'll be building relationship with them, and we'll be effective parents with kids who respect us. If you feel like you'd like more detail on Dr. Clark's theories, then I'm sure you'll benefit greatly from his book. It's called Parenting is Hard and Then You Die. (laughs) What a daunting title. However, this book provides a biblical and comprehensive strategy for raising healthy kids in a world that is morally bankrupt, spiritually desolate, and increasingly dangerous. That strategy is clear and specific, rooted in the Bible, proved successful, and communicated in a fun and entertaining way. Log on to safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. Our goal at Focus on the Family is to see more thriving families in our nation. If you'd like to help us achieve that, then why not support us in our mission by becoming a financial partner with Focus on the Family Africa today. For your monthly gift of 100 Rand or more, we'll send you a complimentary copy of our most recently launched book, Parenting World Changes. Written by Mandy Hart, this book covers a wide range of topics like peer pressure, gender conversations, online addiction, money, anxiety, and the search for identity. These are just some of the challenges our children face today. This resource is going to help equip parents as they raise children to change the world around them. To take advantage of this gift offer, call us on 031-716-3300 or visit our website donate page at safamily.co.za and sign up as a monthly partner. We can do so much more together than apart. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you to join us next time for the conclusion of our program with Dr. David Clark and we'll, as always, help you and your family thrive in Christ. <laughs>